can you feel it in the air? Zags on air. Let's go. Welcome to Zags on Air. I am your host, Bobby Levitin, here with Julian Anchetta. And we're wrapping up the first year of Zags on Air. This is our final episode of the year. You guys have been great listeners throughout the entire time, and I couldn't think of a better way to close out our first season, I guess, with one of our most distinguished guests. He is the athletic director here at Gonzaga. Please welcome Mr. Chris Standifer. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, you bet. It's my pleasure. I didn't realize it was your last broadcast yeah. of the year. Now <laughs> I feel really special. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you on. Um, so we're going to start a little bit with, with where how, how you got to where you are today, and then we'll get into your job in just a little bit. But I want to sort of get your thoughts. Um, can you sort of summarize for the listeners how you got to where you are today, sort of jobs that you had along the way, and how you sort of prepared yourself for the position you're in now? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, persistence and luck, I think, is the short answer. Um, so I was a undergraduate student back in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, and I just happened to need a summer job, got a work-study job, uh, working for, at that time, the facility director at the university, or at the in the athletic center. Uh, his name was Mike Roth, and he was the director of the Martin Center. And that work-study job, at the end of that summer, his graduate assistant, uh, who at the time was a really important position for us because it essentially ran all of our game operations because we were pretty small staff back then, um, had a last-minute change of heart and wasn't able to, uh, had, had to step, step away and, and did not uh, come to grad school. So that afforded me an opportunity in going into my senior year to essentially be an embedded part of the athletic department as a uh, pseudo-grad student um, for a giant sum of $2,000, <laughs> I think, for per semester for about 60 hours a week. Imagine. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, it was a wonderful experience, probably one of the um, most invigorating things that I had ever done, and I just kind of fell in love with college athletics. It wasn't a career path I had anticipated, but I, I transitioned from there into uh, two years of grad school, got my degree in athletic administration, and uh, or my master's degree in athletic administration and went on from there uh, into a full-time position, actually the last semester of grad school, into a full-time position as the assistant director of the Martin Center and the pool manager. Pool manager. So my, my, <laughs> my first job literally is at the lowest point on the campus. I don't know <laughs> if you can get any lower than the <laughs> filter room in the pool. So, And from there, uh, honestly, uh, I, again, timing is everything for me. We were a growing department. Uh, we were just uh, had, had a very present kind of beginning of basketball success. And then a few years later, uh, in you know, obviously in 99, we had the big breakthrough. But with that came a lot of opportunity for me. I was able to grow with the department. Um, you know, I learned some lessons along the way of, of how to position yourself t- for growth. And, and that growth was rewarded. So I've been incredibly blessed to be uh, at the same institution for over 30 years um, and be able to to really achieve my dreams in the context of a place that's very special to me. What were some of those lessons that you learned along the way in terms of growing yourself within the the department? I think first and foremost, um, you know, it's great to have a plan, um, but don't focus on where you want to go. Focus on doing what what you're tasked with today as well as you possibly can. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of people who are so focused on achieving the next job that they're trying to demonstrate that skill set, and they become pretty average at the one that they're really being employed to do, and that doesn't represent you well. So I learned to just keep my head down, work hard, grind, and and really try to uh, perfect whatever it what was that I was doing. And then there's always, you know, it, it, when you get really good at something, you become more efficient. And so once you've done something to, a, to the, ex- the greatest extent that you can, then you find space to fill and uh, or find things to fill that space. And so I think that's initiative is the other thing. Um, when you see something that isn't being done that you believe that you can be contributive, uh, you you start to fill that void. And that, that served me very well as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I just from, I mean, obviously my professional experience of a year maybe of working, you know, and, um, but it's really interesting to hear about your perspective as well as, you know, you've been here for 30, 30 plus years at this point. Um, now, did you ever have like an urge to go somewhere else and branch out or, or have you always just kind of been very loyal to Spokane? So never an urge. I've had a few opportunities. Um, 
I guess I got to go a little deeper in my story. I'm, I'm actually from Spokane. Um, both of my parents are Gonzaga grads. I met my wife here on campus. Uh, it was a first year grad school. Um, okay, I'm not quite on campus at this <laughs> institution right across Hamilton. Um, <laughs> and uh, so Gonzaga is really special to me. Uh, you know, it's a place that uh, has meant a lot to my personal development. My professional development has come along. Um, and Spokane's a place I, I, like I said, I grew up here, went to Gonzaga Prep. I went to Loyola Marymount right out of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't fully appreciate Spokane, the community, um, the four seasons, the things that I really identified with until I left. And so I've kind of, I've, I've learned from that. I learned from that experience that, you know, change isn't always something that is going to be gratifying or better and to appreciate the, that for which you are uh, currently enjoying, and uh, that's been enough to keep me here. Was that sort of like the absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of? Very mindset? much so. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely the things that were present that I took for granted. Um, and you know, I'm at a at a particular moment moment in my life right now where you know that's th- that there's been some other things that have happened uh, recently that have really made me reflect even more on that. And, and you know, the, the things that you take for granted are, are, it's really important for you to stop, reflect, and, and you know, just fully understand the, the gifts that you have around you. Now, you mentioned being exposed to Gonzaga at a very young age and having Gonzaga be a part of your life from a very young age. When you were growing up, was being the Gonzaga athletic director always a dream of yours, or was this something that sort of came by surprise later on? Never even imagined it. <laughs> um, I was going to be a basketball player. That was going to be my – that was my dream. And, of course, that was – I realized about my sophomore year in high school that that was probably not in my future. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I grew up at Gonzaga in the sense that my, my parents were season ticket holders since the year I was born. And so I, I literally was running around underneath the old bleachers and <laughs> doing things during the games. It was a lot different environment back then. Um, so Gonzaga was always important to me, um, but I can't say that it was ever I ever anticipated it as part of my future. In fact, like I, as I said, I didn't even choose it as my uh, school of destination out of high school. So, and that's that's reflective of you know youth, right? I have all these grand ideas, and I'm going to go to California. And I'm going to you know be different than the rest of my family and right. and those kinds of things. But yeah, so I I literally had no plan. Um, fate brought me to this place. An amazing story. Yeah, it really it's is. An amazing yeah, story. it's one of those thing, you know, stories of destiny you always hear like they make movies about. That's <laughs> what it's what we're hearing about right now. So um so transitioning to your like responsibilities right now, like as an athletic director, what does like what is your job entail like on a day to day basis? Well, it's different every day and the ch- that's because the challenges are different every day. I think first and foremost, um the last five or six years I was the deputy athletic director and, and and that, as a chief operations officer, you are very much running the department in on a very um, gran- in a very granular way. You're making sure that everything's working, all the details are happening, that um, everybody has the resources they need, and that everybody's collaborating really well. But it's very pragmatic, and it's very it's very on the you know boots on the ground. Uh, I don't fill that role anymore. Uh, Shannon Strahl does it wonderfully. She's a she's terrific. But that means that you have to elevate your view a little bit. You have to mm-hmm. bring up your altitude and you focus a little more on leadership. Mm-hmm. You, you have to deal in the strategy space a lot more and, uh, and, and really try to anticipate what's coming next and what the needs of the department tomorrow are as much as try to fulfill the ones that you see right in front of you today. So I would say that for me, that's, that's been a, the, the, the most um, significant change in my daily routine has been where my focus is. And, uh, it's uh, it's been uh, it's been a, a really interesting period of time too because I've learned to focus on people more mm-hmm. um, rather than 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 particular activities or tasks that needed to be concluded, but just really a little more uh, focused on how are people doing and are they gratified in what they're doing? Are they satisfied? Do they have the resources? Do they need? Do they have the direction? Do they understand the strategy? Because um, we have great staff, we have great coaches, we have great student athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a matter of making sure that you're helping them be their best selves. Go- going back a couple of years to your when you first stepped in to the position as athletic director, 
Were, was it more nervousness or excitement about doing it? Was that, did that first year sort of go the way you expected or were there some twists and turns that maybe you weren't expecting? It didn't, it, I mean, I guess there were, there were points in time that I did not anticipate for sure. Mm -hmm. um, there were things about this last year that I don't think anybody could have anticipated. Um, but did it go as I expected? Generally, yes. Um, I've had tremendous support from uh, Dr. McCullough, uh, from the university's board. Our staff has been remarkable to, to make the transition. Literally, our entire senior staff has taken on a new role in some form or fashion, um, or, or you know, some completely and some in more subtle ways. But the dynamic has changed, and they've responded um, in incredibly well. Um, yeah, there were a few points that, you know, there were some crisis moments that certainly I didn't see coming, but the, the response to in those moments, I think, was everything I had hoped it would be um, for us as a department and uh, all the different parts that make that up. I, I think that, you know, the, the success of the basketball season coming out of the pandemic and the support we received during the pandemic and then post-pandemic from our students and our fans was a was an incredibly cool and and invigorating thing to be a part of, um, you know, and and to finish on the men's side in the Sweet 16 and have people disappointed with that as an outcome. I think we're in a pretty healthy place, so yeah. I felt good about it. The women's team was great this year in terms of they they really played their played their hearts out there down the stretch and Got to, better and better each year. Yeah, and to make it to the second weekend uh, mm -hmm. it w it was a really nice building block for them. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to I want to talk about um, that COVID season for a second. I'm sure, obviously, as you mentioned, it presented challenges to you and your whole department that you probably never saw coming. But coming now that we're sort of coming out of this whole COVID period now, what's one thing that maybe you learned during that period that maybe changed like your way of looking at things or perspectives? What's thing? What's one maybe lesson you'll carry out from that whole experience? Well, I think it. I, I think if there's any one thing I learned is is just how important people are in support of athletics. And I, I mean that materially. Obviously, we were the beneficiary of a lot of great support fiscally from a lot of our, our fans. But just the energy that mm -hmm. needs to be in that building to make college athletics its true self. And the, and the impact that that has on students. Um, the other thing I think that was really evident to me in that year was just how isolating uh, how, how social isolation starts to really impact people and uh, and and that we're truly social creatures we need that interaction and and sports is a celebration uh, you know the especially games are such a celebration of us as a community that to have that be so sterile and to not have active participation I mean, watching on TV is great but you know jumping up and down in those bleachers and screaming and yelling and having the Having bringing that energy into the building, it impacts the players. Um, it certainly, you know, in in sports other than basketball, it, it you know it was weird because it was out of cadence when we did play and when we didn't play, and mm -hmm. so we were condensing a lot of activity into a, a spring a spring se semester, um, and it just was different. It wasn't the same. It was uh, competitively, it was very you know it was very successful. We had maybe the best year in in Gonzaga athletics history. Um, five conference championships you know it was a tremendous year it's just but it didn't have the same uh, depth of of enjoyment because it wasn't shared with others yeah definitely um I want to go back and talk about Mike Roth he was, he was the AD before you can you talk about that transition and what it was like being under him for so many years and what he meant to you as, as a person yeah that's I mean, you got about two hours. Um, <laughs> Mike is an amazing person, first and foremost. He's a, a mentor, a friend. Uh, he is the literally the only supervisor that I had from 1990 till last September. Mm -hmm. um, I owe him a, a debt of gratitude that is, is immense um, because he's always been there for me as a person. Uh, he's always held me accountable as a professional. Uh, he's helped me grow. He's shown me leadership uh, styles that are very different than my natural instinct. 
and helped me blend and never, never asked me, you know, and I think it's an important thing. He's always taught me, don't try and be like me, be you, be authentic. Um, but I've learned to take things from that, from him that make me better. Um, and, uh, I can't tell you how many times I have probably a thousand different moments in my life that, you know, that my path could have been different. It wasn't for him. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I owe him an, an immense debt of gratitude as does this place. He gave his life to, to Gonzaga athletics. He did amazing things. He's so understated. He's, he's an amazing person who, um, could lead without having to have it be about him. Um, and that, uh, that was, un- that unlocks a lot of potential in a lot of people. Absolutely. No, I just have to do a quick story time um, just because when I first got here, uh, I just started my first year in my grad program uh, earlier this semester or in the first semester. And I reached out to Mike and just, you know, at a random, just, you know, cold email and just to see if I could just speak with him, um, not even knowing the entire situation of him retiring and whatnot. It just kind of that came later. But, you know, he he actually had time in his day because it was like his one of his last days before retirement. Um, and I can agree with that. I mean, I know you've not seen him a lot better than I did, but he was very much so, the honestly, one of the best people I've ever met since I got here. And, I mean, Gonzaga has a lot of amazing people, but he's definitely up there. So I, 100%, I can agree if that if there's a second need for that. But, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, and, I mean, as I feel like there's not really a great way to segue into <laughs> NIL right now. Yeah. But, um, but, I mean, obviously with uh, – with changes happening, we're talking about changes, how COVID affected um, the season and the spring semester especially. Um, obviously, now comes a new uh, name, image, likeness, name, image, and likeness agreement. How do you believe that has changed like the landscape of college sports? Well, I think we have to go back a little bit further because um, NIL is, is, is just a complete game changer mm-hmm. um, culturally and practically. But it's, it's intersecting with... Uh, the transfer portal and so those two things and the transfer portal has been around for three or four years COVID kind of disrupted that there's a lot of you know distraction from it but it was that's a really big deal uh, particularly in in football and basketball and so the ability to to pull up your stakes and move to the next team mm-hmm. um, it kind of reminds me of AAU basketball a little yeah, bit you yeah. know these guys that are you know 14 years old and they've played on six teams <laughs> it just didn't work out the next first time so they move and they move um, but NIL is also about opportunity financially um, mm-hmm. so you've got this you know essentially free agency and now you have this unfettered market to compensate um, which NIL wasn't supposed to be um, you know I don't think anybody imagined it as it's actually playing out right now um, and that being said I, I'm a I'm a big proponent of NIL I think that I think that a student being able to have the freedoms of that are equal to other students is really important um, and how they're able to create their own entrepreneurship and, and take legitimate uh, opportunities to to uh, demonstrate their um, contribution into to a for the benefit of a, of a company I think is great it's not how it's working right now uh, but you know it also creates a, you know, evens the playing field economically in some ways for for student athletes because you know especially when you look at college football, you have people that come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. There's different opportunities for them. It's an equalizer. You mean even looking at looking at our own campus, you know, you there's there's a a socioeconomic um, consistency that. You know, I think you look at we we all tend to think well everybody's kind of the same on campus. Well, they're really not. There's a there's a big big difference between um, some of the students and other students. You know, and but it, you don't really notice it. And I think it's the same thing with student athletes. Some some students parents can afford to come out and see them play. Some can't. Um, some can afford to have a car. Some cannot. And there's really no mechanism within the NCAA to, to in the current co- construct for us to be able to provide that level of support to students. NIL offers that. So with initiative and through their own effort, they can they can achieve economic similarity to a lot of the other students. And I think that has a, a ton of, of value. Um, it's, it's certainly not where we're at right now um, in a pay to play and inducement perspective. It, the NCA was really clear that wasn't supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, the Supreme Court's made it really clear that that's not really within their purview. And as college athletics has done since its inception, it's found ways to take what's good and, and try and gain advantage from it. And that's what's happening right now. So you mentioned not being where you're at right now in terms of NIL. So where do you see this implementation of NIL in college sports? Where do you see this leading to in the future? Oh, that's the million-dollar question. I <laughs> wish I had an answer. Um, I think there's some possibilities. I, I think, you know, when Nick Saban says something's unsustainable, we should all be listening. Uh, when someone with, someone who has the resources of, of Alabama sees this as, a, as, as something that is – not just disruptive to the model, but an unsustainable um, train wreck. Uh, there's there's something there's something to that. I, I think that there needs to be some sort of federal intervention to to genuinely create. I don't know. Equity is not the right word. Fairness might be mm-hmm. a better word um, in in the whole space, but. You know, at the same time, we are, you know, we are facing change at a pace that I have never imagined right now. You know, we've made the, you know, you hear a lot of references to Wild Wild West, right. you know. Well, it's worse than the Wild West. The Wild West had sheriffs. So there's no sheriff <laughs> right now. Um, and on top of it, you've got, you know, the Transformation Committee's work is ongoing. Uh, the Constitution of the NCA has changed to open up that opportunity. Um, so, you know, I'm hopeful that their work will have some outcomes that will help provide clarity to what the expectations are around NIL, um, what it means to the transfer portal, because those two things in combination are, are so disruptive to the student, whether they recognize it or not. It's going to be really hard to graduate if you go attend three different institutions. It's going to be really hard to achieve the academic goals that we have as institutions of higher education if there is a absolute free agency with no salary cap, for lack of better terminology, I tend to use those analogies because that's what it is. It's you know every every successful professional sports league out there finds ways finds ways to manage these things, um, whether it be the NFL by creating parity through scheduling, luxury cap in baseball. Everybody has a Everybody has a mechanism to create some equity, and right now there is none in college athletics in the current construct, and it's it's not good for it's not good for the students. How how do you see this NIL implementation affecting your job personally as an athletic director? Well, I think it's I, I think first and foremost it's uh, it creates a lot of anxiety um, because to be good at my job, I need to be able to predict what's coming next and try to be prepared for that next opportunity that it makes sure the university is in the right spot. This is so fluid that A, it's happening very quickly, but B, it's very unpredictable. Um, and there are, there are players involved now that, you know, I would have never imagined would be central to the future of, of college athletics. I mean, we're talking about federal legislation now to, to try and right the ship. That's, in, you know, I never would have thought we would have been talking about that. We have you know, the idea of the model that is Division One athletics is completely up in the air. What is, is it going to be a, a sport-by-sport centered set of rules? Is it going to be a set of rules that is specific to just one conference? Is it a group of conferences? It's what this next um, iteration ends up looking like is is literally impossible to predict. So, I don't know what it means. I know that, you know, in the short term, this is going to be good financial opportunity for our student athletes. Uh, I think it can be disruptive to the educational model. We have an ethical responsibility to try and and have a, a role in that to help make sure that one doesn't disrupt the other. And then there's the whole, you know, a lot of, you know, at a, especially at a school like Gonzaga and basketball, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of professional aspiration that goes with this again, can be disruptive to that model. We want to make sure that we're supporting them and helping them develop, you know, as as students, as athletes, and as people to the greatest extent that we can. And, and all of these things are additional pressures on students. More demand, more demand, more demand. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's I, that's what I that's the best way to put it is that in the future it's we don't know what's coming you just you know you can never predict 
you can well you can try to hope to predict, but <laughs> right. you might you might be right. You might you gotta, not be right. You got to put your best guess forward. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, speaking about, I know we brought up men's basketball earlier about, and we also brought up transfer portal. Um, how do you believe that the transfer portal, especially when it comes to men's basketball, has changed the way that college ba- or col- universities have tend to recruit or tend to you know put their put their roster together? I would say. Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's. I think the scholastic sports are the ones suffering right now. Mm-hmm. I think that the extra COVID year, the change in the transfer portals put just a ton of pressure back on these. I've, I've, I'm glad my kid's not 18 years old and a great athlete coming out of high school, because those opportunities are are becoming more limited. Um, you know, I don't really have a a strong statement on it because I it, I think it's we're still learning, right. um, but I do think that there's a a reasonable amount of information to know that you're you're dealing with roster sizes and scholarship limits that far exceed the number of students that can regularly play Mm. and so those students that are fully committed to development aren't seeking uh instant affirmation and are committed to a process will be fine in this they won't be affected that's not a lot you know, that's not a high percentage of, of students that are in Division One athletics. They're looking to play, and they want to play now, and they're looking for it. You know, they have been the best on their team for their entire life, and now they want to have that same experience in college. So they, if they're not in that fast-track kind of model, they tend to move. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Again, I've, I've, I've outlined I don't think it's good for students generally. It can be in some situations. And I, I, I'm not saying that they do, shouldn't have the right to do it. I just mm-hmm. I hope – that there's some moderation around the desire to do it because right now it's new and it's an opportunity and and you know the NIL thing has certainly changed the the way it's happening um, but I do think that to me NIL should be more about retention than recruitment you know if you're in a place that has you've you've become part of a community you've generated some um, value because a lot of times NIL is not national value it's local value um, and you're taking if you take advantage of that, it might help in retention. I, I think that it serves a, a good role in that. But man, I don't I don't really have a clue <laughs> um, beyond it. Well, well, when thinking about recruiting now, granted Gonzaga's the basketball team has gotten top recruits the most in the re- most recent years with Jalen and Chet. But thinking back to the history of Gonzaga's recruiting, and I guess now looking into the future. Would you say that maybe Gonzaga's at somewhat of a disadvantage considering our conference and possibly the location? Do you think that puts us maybe at a disadvantage compared to other big schools? I don't think so. Actually, I think that, um, you know, there's a reason college coaches make a lot of money and have such high profiles. They're good teachers. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have one of the best, if not the best, in the country. And so, you know, there, there is a desire to come and play for Mark Few or Lisa Fortier, they, they recognize that I want to be a great basketball player. And in many cases, I want to become a great basketball player and, and, and play for many years at, and professionally. This is still a great path for them to do that. Um, I think that Mark has a, a long history of recruiting beyond just talent. He's, create, he's, he's recruiting the whole person. And he's finding people that are committed to being great teammates that are committed to uh, improving their improving their skill level, working their craft, and and doing it in the context of, of his coaching style and the cultural expectation of his teams, I think he'll continue to find players of, of, of great quality that will be able to do that. I think it's disruptive. I think that they'll be you know trying to figure it out. I think there'll be some short-term bumps. Um, whether it be on, probably on an individual basis rather than, you know, as a, as a team, just to, because people are trying to figure out the social norm has changed. And so, you know, there's, there's going to be, it's just a little bit um, disruptive and there's a little bit of anxiety around it, but I think we're in great shape. When, when I think about Gonzaga and, and recruiting, one of the first people that comes to mind, of course, is Tommy Lloyd. Can you talk about sort of what his loss meant for in terms of recruiting and how obviously how tough it was to, re- to replace him considering how well he's done did in his first year at Arizona yeah. Tommy's a great great friend he's a good person and, and, and he's a great coach um, but you know there I, I think that it was just his time to be a head coach mm-hmm. and uh, I you know Brian Michelson is a rock star and 
you know, Roger Powell is, is, a, is, is just a wonderful addition to our community and, and really, in, really excited about his recruiting talents and his connections overseas and some of the things that he brings. And Stephen Gentry is just a great basketball mind who can really, really coach, and he has a, a, a completely different um, you know, recruiting uh, network that really brings a lot to the table too. So as much as I, I, I hate to see Tommy go because he's such a, a you know, we got a, a lot of history together, um, it, it's, it's, I'm so happy for him to see him having the success and the opportunity that he's having. I, I, think, I don't think it's really, you know, you can't lose somebody of his quality and not feel diminished. But it, what it's really done is it's opened up an opportunity for others here that I have every bit of confidence will be, will be just as successful into the future. Um, now, talking, talking about this Gonzaga basketball run and how much and how, how amazing they've done over the last 20, 25 years since Mark Few um, started coaching the team, can you talk about what that continued success for the team has meant, not only for the basketball program, but for the university as a whole? Well, I, I don't think you can fully appreciate it until you step away from the university and interact with others. I've got a couple stories um, just from this most recent uh, NCAA tournament. Um, the, I was I had I had the pleasure of of meeting Scott Dolson, who's the athletic director at Indiana. We had a very nice conversation for oh gosh, about forty five minutes down in Portland, and and he and I have very similar paths. He was a he was a he was a he was a uh, he worked for Coach Knight back in the day, and he just said some things that, you know, really made me appreciate how strong our national brand is and and how powerful the brand that is Gonzaga uh, means to the basketball world. And I know that that translates across a lot of different parts of it. I think that the reputation that we have as an academic institution, our faculty are, are top-notch, and and our student athletes represent that in how they interact with the media, and and how they achieve academically. We're, um, you know, we have unbelievable academic progress success. We have unbelievable graduation, or uh, uh, well, our graduation rates in general, but we also have terrific GPAs. Um, and so I, I think all of those things combined, you know, lead to a brand that truly is outsized to a school that of our size in the West Coast Conference, but uh, I, I can't help but think that has a lot of collateral benefit when it comes to other things uh, and identity. Um, we are truly a national university in every way, and I think that that's, uh, that's attributable to the growth of the university through the last 25 years. Um, is it directly attributable to basketball? I think we're highly contributive, um, but I don't. I, I think there's a lot of other great things that have happened at the university in correlation with our basketball success um, that has has led this place to be a, um, a place that I'm incredibly proud to be associated with. Now, real quick, I'll let you get into talking about the other sports in a second, but I, I just want I, I, I was curious about this. Um, I I've just seen on Twitter rumors about. Is Gonzaga joining the Big East? Is there any truth to that, or is that pretty much just not really a thing? Well, I think what it comes down to is we are in an incredibly uneasy time in college athletics. And so we will always be curious to know how we can better ourselves. Um, we are very happy to be members of the West Coast Conference. They've been great partners. Um, as the construct, the construct as we know it today, um, this is the best place for us to be. The transformation committee's work is not done. We do not have an idea of what it's going to be like come August 1st or August 15th or August 30th, whenever they actually release their, and we don't know how the, the, their work is going to be applied. And so you have to make sure that you're always keeping your options open, that we're, you know, that we're looking at every possible um, affiliative offer that, um, that we can have. I think I just made up a word there, by, <laughs> by the way. Um, you know, who, we, who we're affiliated with is, is an important part of our future. And uh, if the future dynamic of college athletics dictates that we need to look at it differently, we need to be prepared to do so. Yeah. No, I, that, yeah. Good, good, that's a good, good answer. answer. <laughs> that's, good answer. that's not much I can say. That's a good answer. Um, now, we're talking about dynamics. Of course, we all know how the men's basketball is, you know, highlighted across campus and whatnot. 
but how do you believe or how important do you believe that it is to uh, highlight other sports that aren't like ma- basketball because I know earlier earlier this year we actually had the uh, Gonzaga tennis national champion from a couple years ago Sophie. Um, yeah Sophie, Sophie exactly. yeah. yeah so we had her on we had her on and it was just it was crazy because like we talked about it and we're like oh we had a tennis national champion on and people around campus would be like what are you talking about like they they really didn't have the awareness and such so uh, I guess my question would be again like how important do you believe it would be to highlight other sports that aren't as popular such as you know men's soccer uh, just tennis or whatnot sure I, I think first of all the contributions of all of our athletes are really important to highlight mm-hmm. and to make as consumable as possible we've made a lot of investment into um, distribution means through the digital network um, trying to make make sure that people can have access to them, um, whether it be locally or um, distance when we're traveling. I think that's the first thing because you need to grow fandom. You need to grow support and be able to have people experience their successes because that's how you truly grow, um, you know, a fan base. Uh, it, it's you have to win. Mm-hmm. Winning's really important to getting people to come to your games, uh, and we, we're doing that a lot right now. And so. The assets that we have in play, whether that be through social media, through our website, through press releases, all those things, they're universally important to all of our student athletes. Um, it's an important part of our, our brand. One of the, you know, one of the impo- important strategy points we have um, in the university strategic plan is to make sure that our athletic programs are durable, and that you know, and that we protect the nationally relevant components of of our our success. We take that responsibility very seriously. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, the rowing teams that are out there in the, you know, where you're watching a 2000 meter race and you get to see the last, you know, 250 meters of it, mm-hmm. it's not a super fan friendly experience, but it's a really, really cool experience. And we've made great investment in, uh, our recently opened uh, silver Lake boathouse, a, a second boathouse for the benefit of our student athletes. It's top notch. Um, there's our women's rowing team right now is well, the best. you know they're in the top twenty in the country, and for good reason. Um, we're committed to it, and I think similarly, if you look all the way down, you just look at you know, in in the recent context, baseball's you know baseball's yeah. killing it right now. Yeah. They're you know I didn't see today's rankings, but we were you know either eleventh or twelfth coming in, and uh, you know there's there's tremendous uh, tremendous excitement around that program. We continue to invest in them and in the facilities that support them, the the different attributes of, of you know, trying to um, market their their successes. And, their, and, again, I think a lot of it's just making them accessible, mm. making sure people can come see. But, you know, we also have that same kind of, you know, we've got, you know, the James Wara and and our track guys that are, mm-hmm. you know, they're getting ready to comp- they're they've already quali- he's already qualified for nationals. I mean, it's that's a those are not small feats and things that uh, we're excited to to promote. Uh, now what now men- mentioning the the men's baseball team they they've been obviously another Gonzaga team that has started to gain national attention and obviously rightfully so. What what does having a second Gonzaga team getting that much attention? do for i mean just what does it do for the athletic department and for the all the gonzaga sports pretty much just having another sport be being put in the national spotlight well i think that you know first i think women's basketball has done that for us yes, a lot a, a, yeah a women's and, basketball and so there's there's you know there's a lot of stats that you could go back and look at you know the 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 how many how many schools have had both their men's and women's team in the ncaa tournament and how far they've advanced right. and it's been a there it's an incredibly important part of our brand and our our success the baseball similarly has just had a, a continued um, improvement and growth and to the point now where it's you know, we expect to be in the NCAA tournament and it doesn't happen every year but it's a it's an absolute expectation of the players programs our fans or certainly our coaches um, and it means a lot it means a lot from the credibility in the athletic world but it also means you're starting to cross over into other um, other cultures, in a sense, when you start to have success in baseball, and you have great success in basketball, you're tapping into a different fan base nationally. The people that go to Omaha are not necessarily the same people that are going to the CFP or to the the Final Four. 
Um, and that just, again, permeates. They have kids. They have, you know, they're, it's, they're the ones that are going to be making college decisions at some point, and they're the ones that are, they could be affiliated with major corporations that are trying to figure out where to do their marketing spend. And it just, all of it's really, really important. And, uh, and yeah, I think, you know, where baseball's at right now is a, is a tremendous testament to um, what I think is a uh, is probably a big part of our success, which is great retention uh, with great coaches. You know, Coach Maktoff has has been around <laughs> for a long, long time, <laughs> and uh, for good reason. You know, um, he's had a lot of success here. He's certainly had chances to go other places too. Some very imp- very uh, uh, prestigious baseball programs have been after him, and he, he's been committed to being a Zag because he's a great Zag. And we can't ever take that for granted. We always have to make sure that we're doing the things to help that program. But the reason he's here is because he believes he can win a national championship at Gonzaga. Yeah, I, and we certainly hope he does, you know, this year or any year, honestly. They're looking good this year. Yeah, they're looking <laughs> really good this year. They've done really well. Um, now, I know you talked about uh, – you know, obviously student athletes since, you know, athletic director, but what type of role or what type of impact uh, do like non G or non student athletes, uh, non athletes, GU students, what type of impact do they have on your like day to day life or at least your, um, your job? I would say. Well, I have a daughter who's a junior here, so she has a <laughs> lot of impact. on my life. <laughs> Um, no, it's, I, I don't, I can't say, I mean, Rudolph fitness center is, is part of our sphere of responsibility. So there's there's definitely that. I don't do a lot day to day with um, the RFC, although we're really really proud of it and mm-hmm. to be associated with it. I think, um, you know, the the support our students provide to our uh, our student athletes through their support through attendance at games, um, just generally being you know connected within the community, um, that intersection between student athlete non student athlete and the, that that's a really important part of our culture. We have a very integrated population of student athletes. You know, they're they're very much connected with the rest of the community, and so that impacts me indirectly because it it, it really speaks to the students, uh, our student athletes, um, health and well-being. Um, they're they're very well supported by their, you know, by their peers. That's not always the case at every at a lot of other institutions. It's, you know, we always talk about oh, Gonzaga is special. It's a great community, and it's all this hyperbole, and it sounds. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's different here. If you go to a basketball game, you'll absolutely see it. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Well, if you go to another university, like I went to undergrad at Arizona State, you could, yeah, I could definitely see that there's a big, there's a big difference on over there over here. It's more over here is like a lot more of a community, like you stated. A lot more tight knit. Yeah, exactly. Well, to, to someone who maybe hasn't been to a Gonzaga men's basketball game before, can you just try your best? Just to illustrate what it, the feeling you get when you just look across the stadium and you see a thousand students just all standing up cheering as loud as they can because I got both of us got to be a part of that and mm-hmm. it was one of the craziest experiences that I've ever been a part of just being part of the kennel in the student section w- what does it look like to you as, as an outsider like well, someone lo- lo- looking in well personally I'd be disappointed if there was only a thousand because there's usually about 1300 <laughs> yeah. I got the number wrong then. okay 1300 <laughs> no, it's uh, the energy's unbelievable and it, all you have to do is watch the visiting bench mm-hmm. uh, that gives you a good barometer of how usually because what we the the seats right behind the visiting bench are the the parents of the opposing players right. or the important people for that institution whether it be their benefactors or their administration or whatever right they always record the open there when zombie nation comes on oh, their yeah. cell phones are out it's special and you know i get to experience it a lot i've experienced it a ton over over my time i get chills every time mm-hmm. that when once and you know this year during craziness when we went through the the year previously as soon as the band fired up during uh during craziness in the kennel, I got the chills again. I mean, it was just, it was like, oh, I remember this. The energy is unbelievable. The intensity, the spirit that the students bring uh, is, it's its festive and it's intimidating and it's exciting, but most importantly, it's invigorating. It just brings so much energy to the, the student athletes. And honestly, probably equally to both sides. You know, I think it's more energizing than intimidating, but right. it's just flat fun. Absolutely. Um, now, before we let you go, we want to want to get ask you some uh, some questions, just more more like hobby type stuff or just memory memories of your time here at GU. So I might know the answer to this one. I think I think you touched touched on it earlier in the show, but if if you were a student and you were recruited, 
to play sports here at Gonzaga, and you let, let's just say you had the choice to choose whichever sport you wanted, what sport would you want to play? Oh wow! Well, I did I did kind of give a little cheat earlier that <laughs> I was I, I was an aspiring basketball right. player. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if I could really answer that question because I'm so influenced by all of our sports right now. Um, I can tell you that the commitment that our rowing team has for practicing and in the conditions and the time they do, they I'm do incredibly, I have, I have incredible admiration for that. So I'd probably scratch that one off. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say the exhilaration and the, and the camaraderie that they've created and mm. that I see from our alums is something I want to be part of. Um, our baseball team has an unbelievable culture in that of in that clubhouse that's really really special and um, those relationships and the I love the sport of baseball I enjoy being around it so that's certainly up there um, basketball is a, a, a sport I have always enjoyed playing I, I love the the game of basketball um, I've managed to do you know go, go 53 years without blowing out my Achilles so I've got that going for me <laughs> um, but you know the, I love the game of golf uh, I love watching our, our golf student athletes can compete I don't think I could do I don't think I'd play college golf because I'm not good enough but boy um, seeing what they can do and and just how incredibly talented that cohort is also I mean I'm giving you a crazy long answer because I can't answer it well it, it's crazy because we we had a we had Quinn Duong on last week she's on the women's golf oh, team yeah and she and she was telling us that for some other tournaments they play 36 holes straight yep which is just insane like like nine to nine like sunset like sunset to, or sunset to sundown yeah which is yeah incredible. our uh, our uh, we so the 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 champ- championship was this past weekend and uh, our sport liaison w- went down there and he came back and he walked forty one miles in three in, oh in, in in his time there goodness it's just how no much, kidding yeah, it's it's a it's a trick. You, you can it's, it's about eight miles around so right. you know they had a practice round mixed in and it's crazy. Unbelievable. <laughs> and just and not only that, but they have to walk around, but then they also have to hit the ball. They got to carry the bags. They carry the bags. Yeah. They got to do all that. That's yeah. incredible. No, their their fitness level is, is off the charts. And you know, as anybody that's played golf, swinging a golf club's hard on the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can ask any golfer who's been injured. <laughs> I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, now, obviously, throughout your time, you've seen a lot of student athletes at Gonzaga. Did you have like a favorite? Gonzaga student athlete by any chance? Maybe maybe someone you just loved watching. You know, it's yes. There's there's too many to name, but (laughs) um, probably you know there's there's some people that um, impact you in different ways. Uh, I think you know I've always said JP Batista is way up there on my list, Mm. but he was a great basketball player and he he just an unbelievable um, presence in the paint and just did some great things. But that's not why I remember him. I remember him because of the person he was and just such a great human being, such a, a great person of high character. Um, but I, I, I could literally sit here and spend an hour naming <laughs> off different student athletes that have had an impact on me, both as an athlete, because I've really enjoyed watching them have unbelievable success. I mean, Adam Morrison, I, I get to see Adam all the time because he's, he's our, our radio color guy but you know just thinking back to the things he did on a basketball court where you know they they're legendary um and his talent was unbelievable and his ability to make big shots and be there in the moment you know those those kinds of things um you know but i I think the things that I, i i guess when i reflect back and i think about the students that that meant the most to me when i think of all time zags it's sometimes it's things they did off the court it's sometimes it think did they sometimes it's the things they did when no one else was was looking. Um, I think that Kevin Pangos will always have a special place in my heart because I I watched him when no one else was looking at him and saw the type of character that he possessed and and how he treated people and how he went out of his way to do things for others. And I think that you know those are the things that for me are are they they penetrate really really deeply. Now, keeping with the favorites, I'm I'm curious. Do you have a Gonzaga game that maybe sticks out as one of your favorites <laughs> to watch? Or been in attend- been in attendance for? Oh, uh, I um, if we're talking about basketball, um, I I remember one from must have been about oh gosh, ninety three or ninety four. Um, it was 
I, it was a, a game against uh, St. Mary's, I believe. Might have been Pepperdine. It was probably Pepperdine back then, but I think it was St. Mary's. I just remember it was a. I was a young grad student in charge of game management. Mike was at one end of the floor. I was at the other. It was close game down the stretch, and uh, we made a buzzer beater, mm-hmm. and the entire kennel club ran out of the bleachers. <laughs> and it was just a moment of sheer panic for me. But it was mayhem <laughs> and excitement and trying to get get the visiting team off the floor. There, I mean, it was in the old kennel. There was no mm-hmm. space. It was, but it was one of those moments where it was just like that was the first really, really, really big, exciting moment that I could remember. But um, you know, I think. You know the other the other games that I think of that are more con- more contemporary or, you know there was a there there were there were some really big NCAA tournament games that were were huge, and they were pivotal in us advancing. Um, that come to mind. I think the, uh, you know, and I actually remember the shots more than the games. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember those moments in the games when yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when Jordan Matthews hit a three down in San Jose, that I, I'm like, at that point I knew we were gonna go. You know, I knew we were moving on, and it was just wow. Mm-hmm. And and there was, you know, there were there were times the women's when the women's team was here. Uh, I can't remember the year now, but we it's the year we went to the Elite Eight. We played in Spokane. Yeah. Courtney was, un, but Kayla Standish had just a couple amazing turnaround jump shots that were, you know, 18 feet you know just inside the three-point line and just swish and it was like okay but when now we're gonna win you know those kinds of those kinds of moments that that you know you're just so proud and you're so happy for the students I think mm-hmm. that for me is the that that's where the real joy comes from is because you see people that put in such a tireless amount of work have success um, and you see the joy that it brings their teammates and the, and the students and the fans and yeah it's 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 what you do it for where, where, where does Jalen's shot rank for you um, Jalen's shot is, I, I, right after the game, I, I mean, we were pretty euphoric. Of course, we're in the bubble, so that's a, you know, there's literally just 35 of us total that were able to be courtside. And I just remember walking into the locker room afterwards and giving Jalen a hug or a handshake or something and just said, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and there's very few moments that stick out and I'm, that I'll never forget, and you just caused one. And so for me, I, I, that it's too recent for me to really verify, but I don't think I'm ever forgetting that moment. I, uh, I watched I watched Mike Roth jump higher than he's jumped in 20 years <laughs> uh, when that happened. And frankly, it was because uh, uh, it literally it happened right in front of me. I was sitting uh, behind the media table uh, opposite our bench. So the, oh, the, right in front of the fans. The, the, yeah. ta- the table that Jalen jumped on was right in front of me so I was like and I'm in no man's land so it's just like me and 10 feet of carpet and Jalen I'm running around the table because I'm like I can't jump up there and hug him but I sure want to you know it was a it was an unbelievable moment I went for I went to Indiana for the championship game which was obviously not I don't remember any of that yeah no yeah completely escaped my memory but but that, that was just a cool environment being in in, in the bubble and everything. But that that's just my, my yeah. That's thought. a whole other story. That bubble yeah. was a really unique uh, experience that um, I hated every moment of and loved every <laughs> moment of. And I, I think there's things about it that were so unique that I'll, I'll remember it forever. And that team was so special. And to have you know 30 days in, in close proximity with um, students like that is a really unique experience for an administrator. Absolutely. Um, yeah, one more, one more favorite we'll, we'll ask you. Uh, do you have a, a favorite maybe Gonzaga team? Maybe, maybe not mm. solely based on the success they did, but the impact more more so. Oh, wow. Um, in basketball specifically? Could be basketball or any sport that maybe I, sticks, sticks out yeah, to Yeah, there's there was a we've, – we've had a couple baseball teams that, that are up there for me. Um, and, again, the years escaped me, but we went to a regional um, down in uh, – in, in Fort Worth uh, with a team that was really, really special. We had a baseball team. Actually, one of the best baseball teams I can remember was uh, Marco's junior year, um, and uh, that team was that team was amazing, and, and we just had a bad weekend at the West Coast Conference Championship and, and didn't advance. Um, that was a pretty special team. Basketball-wise, um, I think of those. Uh, I go back with women's basketball back to the, the Elite Eight year. That was, that was pretty darn special. And in – and then you know the the I think it, you know really every one of the last well 
the last six years for men's basketball, they've all been really special teams. They've been full of really great players, um, great people, and we've had a ton of success. So, you know, I mean, Killian Tilly's way up there on my list of great Zags, and, you know, to see him, you know, fight through, you know, fight through injury for most of that season and not be able to, you know, when we get to the Sweet 16, not be able to go and see the pain that he was in is, you know, one of those really nagging negative memories of mine, but talk about a great team, you know, great people. What what about that that 2020 team that that, that was I mean, poised for the number one seed until the pandemic. Came. Yeah, well, does, does that does that one sort of that one hurts? Put, put a thorn in yeah. your side a little bit. Yeah, that one really hurts. There were so many things about that. Being in Spokane for the regional, right. the, mm-hmm. the 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 sub regional would have been just amazing. Um, you know, the women would have been hosting in Spokane. So I've been I've been blessed to um, be the primary team administrator since we since since we started going in '99 and. And that just means you're basically the administrator with all the operational responsibilities around the, the team. And the idea of being able to stay home and sleep in my own bed <laughs> and be in the NSA tournament was a pretty cool <laughs> thought process. Um, and, you know, it's, it, and the, it's special for my – the, the NSA tournament's special for my family too because all of my um, – my wife and I and my kids – all of us have birthdays within five weeks of each other, and okay. they all land roughly. And but the the nineteenth and the twenty first is my wife and my oldest, uh, my son of March uh, of March, and so that's always the first weekend it's of the tournament. The and so as that pandemic rolled out, um, it was uh, I think the Thursday night. I can't remember if Spokane was a Friday, Sunday, or a Thursday, Saturday, but the th- pretty sure it was Thursday, Saturday. But um, my son's birthday birthday would have been the first night. My wife's birthday would have been the second night. It would have been in Spokane, and the team was, you know, and so it was just like the opportunity for everybody to be together, and it would have been awesome, and damn COVID. <laughs> now, the, Spokane's hosting again in 2024 for the men's tournament, correct? I haven't even looked that far uh, in yeah, advance. They, they are. They yeah. are. Is it yeah. the first round or the regional? I believe it's regional. I think it's the, is it the regional or the first and second rounds? Might be the first and second. You know, now that it might sense. be the first they, and I second round. I think they did kick it down yeah. the road because because I know we hosted this year for the women's team because yeah. I, yeah. I helped work the women's March Madness for the Sweet Sixteen and yeah. Elite yeah. Eight. So and I, I think I might get priority to work the men's tournament. Well, there you go. When there I'm a go. senior, which would be a very cool experience yeah. for me. Um, <laughs> uh, now let's sort of. I want to sort of transition to your, your career and looking back on your career. But what is one thing I guess that you wish coming that that you wish you knew? When you first entered the sports industry, looking looking back on your time, oh wow! Um, I wish I would have. You know, I, I think I, where I've grown the most is in um, my emotional intelligence, um, particularly in, in reading other people and knowing the impact that my choices or my behaviors or my actions would have on other people. And I wish I would have had a greater greater clarity before I started. I think all of us have a great impact on the people around us. And to I, I don't think I had that much awareness. I don't think I had that much um, confidence that I was that important to the people around me when I first started. And I think that's that's been a that's been a big growth area um, early in my career. That was that was a it really helped me move into a, a space where I was more successful and more effective. Um, especially as you move into um, having people, you know, ha- having people be, you know, having the management responsibility and help help lead people to success. Because there is no greater um, affirming experience than helping people become successful. That is, that's to me the the that's the, that's what puts a smile on your face at the end of the day is when you see someone that worked with you, that you helped along, maybe mentored. Um, have success and achieve a goal that was really important to them, and so I, w- I wish I would have been more aware of that early on. Yeah, I, I, yeah, emotional intelligence is something that we all strive for, at least getting better, even yeah. in ways that we might not even think about ahead of time. Um, I say final question, right? Yeah. The last question I have is: we know, or we talked about, you talked about a philosophy or just a way of thinking about, you know, not moving on to your next job too soon, or at least not thinking about your next job too soon without trying to do your best at your current position correct now is would that be a philosophy or do you have a different philosophy like saying or moderate quote that you always think about on like a day-to-day basis yeah i i i wouldn't i would say it's been my experience i'm not sure it's it's necessarily my recommendation i think it's really important to have a plan Hmm. um 
and I, I think it was I think it was it was one of the generals. I think it was maybe Dwight Dwight Eisenhower who said, "You always have to have mm-hmm. a plan. You won't follow it. You need to be you know after 15 minutes of battle, it's going to be in the garbage. But you got to <laughs> have a plan." Right. So that's about how much value I put into it. But I think it's important to prepare yourself um, and have aspirations for what it is that you're trying to accomplish because there's going to be time where you're going to find that space uh, where you have you have time and talent to expend and mm-hmm. where do you want to expend that time and talent you got to do your job really really well but what do you want to do and and that is going to be I think it happened intuitively for me but I think I've learned through others that that that, that takes thought sometimes and you need to be intentional on how you fill that that time if you have an aspiration to become something else because you know one thing about college athletics is it can pigeonhole you mm-hmm. you can start down a track and really limit um, where you can go from there because it becomes very technical or 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 very um, stereotypical of hey well that's you know yeah but that's a sports information director and they're really not you know they're not a creative well maybe they are right. and they need to channel that and some of those terms are getting outdated with the, how quickly everything's changing in our world but I think that, that that to me is is having you know having that grand plan. I, I again I'd reiterate I've had an unbelievable opportunity to grow with an organization. Most people don't. Most people have to you know the organization is already fully mature and so for them to grow they do have to leave and hopefully they have an opportunity to come back. But um, you know I'm I'm super grateful for everything that I've had. I I, I do read a lot um, from other inspirational leaders. Uh, to say that I live by any of their quotes is is probably um, well, it's not true because I don't sit here and and, and think about it in those terms. But I, I think most of what I've learned about leadership um, and what I would say is a thing that drives me for my own growth and improvement, and I think it drives people along a professional path that helps them to success, is just about trying to be a better person, um, recognizing that ambition can be channeled in positive ways. And it's not about competing against somebody to to beat them, but to improve yourself, to become better. And that might differentiate you from another person, but it's not at their detriment. It's at your growth. Well, Chris, we want to thank you so, so much for taking time away from your busy schedule to come, to come join us. That is our final episode of the yeah. season. It has been a, a crazy ride, um, but we've learned a lot over this past year. And I think, again, this is a very great way to end it. So thanks again, Chris, for coming on. You bet. It's my and pleasure, and thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Gonzaga Sports Recap. We got a, a lot of sports in action this past week, so we'll get right into it, starting with the men's baseball team. They competed this past weekend in Moraga against St. Mary's, a very important series for the Zags. And they did they did as well as they probably could have, took two out of three from the Gales. Uh, the Zags are now first place in the WCC, and as of the April 24th, they are the number 12 team in the nation. So they, they are heating up at the right time, and we're obviously super excited to see how far this team will be able to go this season. Their next matchup is against Washington State again on April 26th, and then they will have a weekend series against Loyola Marymount this weekend. Julian, why don't you tell us about men's tennis? Yeah, of course. Men's tennis. When it comes to men's tennis, they did not end the season as they may have hoped. Uh, they lost to Portland in their regular in their final regular season matchup. They finished this season at 17-5, and five, but they do have WCC championships that are starting this Tuesday, and they're preparing for those games. Men's tennis seemed to do really well this year. Yes, Def- they did. Definitely better than last year, so a huge improvement for them, and Absolutely. obviously very happy, happy for them. Women's tennis, on the other hand, Definitely not not the season that they've been hoping for. We yeah talked about this a little bit. Yeah. They finished the season eight and fourteen. They did beat Portland though in their final matchup of the season, so at least they ended this season on a strong note. But now, yep, yeah, looking ahead to next season, definitely looking to bounce back, and I'm confident they will. I think yeah. they'll have the right pieces Absolutely. needed to do so. Yeah, they'll use this as a learning experience moving forward. Definitely. Um, but yeah, going moving on to men's track, uh, they did have two rate or they did have an event in Oregon in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, this past weekend, uh, they ran the 5,000 meters and the 3,000 steeple events. Um, for the 5,000, James Mora 
did finish fourth in the uh, in the 5,000 out of 24 participants with, I believe, five breaking the all-time record. I think the top five top broke five. the meet record for broke. the 5,000 meter, broke. which was crazy. Broke the meet record. That's insane that five of them broke the meet record. But he did it break his own personal record or personal best by having a time of 13 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, also in that race, Evan Bates did finish eighth in the race, and he finished with a time of 13 minutes, 45 seconds, his own personal best. Uh, beating out his previous best by 25 seconds. Moving on to the women's track team. They've they've been off for the past uh, week or so, um, but they do have a meet this weekend mm-hmm. in Beaverton against Oregon State. It's Beaverton, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. It's Corvallis. Corvallis. Sorry. Corvallis, Oregon. Uh, they're competing in the Oregon State High Performance Meet this weekend, so good luck to the women's track team. They're their mascots, the beavers. The beavers so yeah, I, I assume beaver. Trust me, that w- that was like the second time res- I, got com- <laughs> I got confused. A couple we all times, make you know. mistakes. Yeah, it's beavers okay. Beavers, <laughs> I get it. But uh, one, something we're not going to confuse about is that men's golf is going to compete in the WCC Championships this coming weekend. So hopefully they. I do think really I think they're in Ojai, which California. Are they? I th- I'm pretty sure Are that they're going? in Ojai. I mean, God. If I could go to California right now, oh, I would that absolutely weather, die. That weather. Uh, <laughs> um, they're they're no no. My apologies. They, the, the golf team is not in Ojai. They are in Henderson, Nevada. Yep, yep they're gonna be in Henderson. They're gonna be in Vegas. Uh, they are. They're gonna the be in Vegas. So they don't, they don't have too much fun. Gotta go to Top Golf. Yeah, know? exactly, but exactly. Yeah, do that. Uh, moving on to the women's golf team, they already competed in the uh, WCC Championships. They took they they finished fifth overall, which. I guess compared to last year is kind of a letdown since they did win the entire thing last year. Yeah. But fifth is still good. True. Still, still nothing really hang your hang your hat at. Um. They and again they're moving on yeah. to next year. Definitely looking to bounce back and get back another WCC title. Yeah, and hopefully they can go, get back at it next year. Re- improve. Uh, hopefully get back to winning the WCC treat. WCC championship next year um, but speaking of championships the men's rowing does have is going to be participating in the WIRA championship this Friday in Gold River California now that is in California <laughs> yes that, it, that one is that, in that one is something that I would wish I could go for just for the weather is Gold River southern or northern uh, that is a good question I do not know <laughs> that's the clue. first time I've ever heard of Gold River so I have no clue um, okay, you know what? We'll, we'll figure this out. We'll later. figure it out. Uh, finally, with the women's rowing team, they competed against Oregon State this past weekend, placing second in all four of their races. Now they shift gears towards their matchup with Washington State this weekend, and then they'll have a few weeks off. Uh, their WCC championships don't start until May 14th, so they'll have a little bit of time to prepare for the WCC championships. Did, a, did he find out? I did. Just a point of clarification. Gold River, California is actually situated in Sacramento County. So Okay, so NorCal. NorCal, yeah. NorCal, okay. Well, before we go, we just wanted to give a general shout-out to all our Gonzaga sports teams this year. They did very, very well w- despite all the ups and the downs that they might have had, but we're all super proud of them. Yeah. We know how much hard work they've put in mm-hmm. and how much dedication that they've put towards their sports, so we wish them all the best. Mm-hmm. And we'll be back in the fall yes, we will. with another installment of Zach's on air, yeah. new sports to bring you, pro- hopefully new guests. Yeah. And um, for, for Bobby Levitan and Julian Enchetta, this has been Zach's on air. We'll see you guys in the fall. Go Zach's. <laughs>